Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner and Sunny, actually snowy, snowy. Cincinnati. Snowy on the way in today. We are recording this at 2.16 Monday following the wild card games. Following what was an absolutely brutal loss in Paul Brown Stadium for my oh, Las yeah. Vegas Raiders. Uh, we got tickets, me, Quinn, Mike, Dave, Eric, my buddy from back home, and you know, it wasn't good. It was not a good game to go to if you're a Raiders fan. Obviously, it was still fun. It was cold as fuck, but it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I'm still a little upset, though. I got to be honest. Uh, you sh- I don't think you should be. They looked overmatched. I mean, it really didn't feel like a one-score game, even though until Jermaine Pratt. And no, hit, you're right. They literally could have, like, one fluke play, they scored. If they want to go for two, like, they could have stole that game easily. But it just didn't feel like the Raiders – were the better team the whole game. It felt like the Bengals had it and kind of just took the foot off the accelerator in the second half. But it was fun. I actually I felt kind of sick. I actually ended up having to leave early and didn't uh, feel great by the end of the game. I oh, I didn't know you left early. Yeah, because you were in a row behind us. Yeah, but uh, I still enjoyed it. It's still a fun while it lasted. I had a pretty piercing headache like deep into the fourth, and I was ready to jump off a bridge. And then I had this Bengals fan who's like screaming. So, okay, I'm all down for heckling, right? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not like an asshole. I love heckling. This guy's like screaming in my face, like negatively when like they like aren't scoring. I'm like, dude, please calm down. <laughs> like it was not like a back and forth thing. I was like, calm. I like cheering, right? Like yeah. that's like when something goes well, I'm like, yeah, this guy's like screaming fuck you at my face. And I'm like, dude. He's, I had not said a single word to the guy. And I was like, hey, man, I appreciate you. But please, I'm like, my head is hurting. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was an interesting Since Cincy fans aren't used to this. They, no, like, true. He's never had that opportunity his entire life. You don't know how you're going to act in that situation yeah. until you get there. And he obviously acted poorly. And I was that like. not how you act as a winning fan. You, you, you celebrate your win, but you don't rub it in someone else's face unless they have already rubbed it in yours exactly you get one you get one bit of trash talk headed your way it's floodgates are open you you, you give that guy all the shit in the world after you win but until that happens you keep it to yourself i would have just lost my mind on that guy if, if they ended up scoring on that fourth and goal or whatever <laughs> i would have legitimately un, just unraveled but like he because you were right though and we'll get into like breaking down this game but Bengals were comfortably in control like it never felt that the Raiders were even like in this game, even though the score was obviously closer. And even on that final drive, it was like, ah, I don't think this is going to pan out. And you could feel that energy in the stadium. And I was surprisingly tame because I think it was so fucking cold. I was not screaming at anybody and also didn't really have the opportunity to, right? The Raiders were like consistently behind, really after the strip sack. Trey Hendrickson, stri- yeah. Trey Hendrickson strip sack. And it's like, okay, this one always felt kind of out of reach. But I did at one point say, <laughs> at one point, I think it was when Zay Jones caught that touchdown. And like, or no, something happened where the Bengals scored and this guy's screaming in my face. And I said, buddy, it is cheaper to live here in Cincinnati because the city stinks. And he like stopped talking. <laughs> it's just like this chick, this chick behind me was commenting on how like tight my pants were, whatever. And she's like, are you from San Francisco? And I was like, no, Oakland. She's like, it makes sense. You're gay. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? How is it like this bad? Bengals she fans. She got you pretty good. Yeah, she got me, whatever. <laughs> she got me, but like, I just could not believe I just so, could not believe it. Like I said, they're not used to this. But it was a fun game. But, man, they really should. Like, they can't play that game and expect to get through the playoffs. Okay, you know? yeah, let's get into that game, actually. Before we do, the presenting sponsor of Tailgate is the Manscaped. 
is Manscaped. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. I can't stop thinking about her just screaming your gay at me. Set your first set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Set your first New Year's resolution with good in- intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. We tailgated that event pretty hard and it would have been it would have been tough if I wasn't wearing the Manscaped Chafe Free Underwear. Completes the set. Really does. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. It's new year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. Cincinnati Bengals raids. That's where we're going to start. Bengals Raiders. Bengals closed as six-point favorites. The line kind of teetered six and a half, got down to five and a half, five at one point, but it did close, end up closing at six. And honestly, it was the right line. Bengals win 26-19. And what I noticed, too, it was the first playoff game of this year, and it's like one like you legitimately obviously watched every playoff because you're sitting in the stands cold as as ass. Critical mistakes in the playoffs show up with mediocre teams, and they can ruin you. Like you have – the special teams blunder where that guy was the Raiders kick returner was trying to get it out of bounds, but then ends up like just taking it out of bounds. Yeah. And that just like completely kills the drive. You kill a drive because you can't move the ball. You're, you're trying to be conservative, whatever. Foster Moreau on that strip sack was blocking Trey Hendrickson one-on-one. That's a critical mistake mm-hmm. that obviously leads to a huge turnover. You have the Renfro pass breakup from Jesse Bates, which was one of the more impressive plays of this game. But, like that's a dime from Derek Carr ends up being a pass breakup, lose the first down. They end up punting. And then I think this other critical mistake which is a series of them from the Raiders. It just showed inexperience. It just showed like a lack of like actually being able to win this game. Desmond Trufant had to go in for Brandon Faison. Brandon Faison, number 35 for the Raiders, gets hurt. They have to put an old-ass Trufant, who's drafted in 2013, against Jamar Chase. And like literally from the stands, me and my buddy were like, Trufant versus Chase, we're fucked. And then just one-on-one situation, Chase just put yeah. him in a bag, in a body bag there. Uh, I felt that the Raiders were never – Never in a position to actually take control and win this game. They didn't have the talent. Coaching looked like a miss. A lot of critical mistakes. And if you have to, as a Raiders team, as a playoff team, have to go to Zay Jones, Brian Edwards, and Foster Moreau in critical situations time and time again, it's just never going to work out. That's ultimately you know, how it went. Yeah, the Raiders were quite comfortably the less talented team in this matchup. I think it's like one thing you just saw throughout the course of this game, uh, especially – you know, with the play, the back shoulder catch that Jamar Chase continues to make with Joe Burrow, that connection just always seemingly comes up big when they need whenever the most. they want it. But the most overrated storyline coming out of this game that I couldn't believe, like having been in the stadium that everyone's talking about afterwards, is the whistle, the inadvertent whistle. I flip on the TV and everyone wants to talk about the inadvertent whistle in the stadium. No one cared. Like no one thought. Everyone's just like, okay, that was a play. Like you barely heard it. They talked about it I thought they were talking about was he out of bounds or not obviously wasn't out of bounds on the replay and it's like maybe letter of the law it should have come back yeah but it but it's not like that had no bearing on the outcome of the game like everyone if you even if you're a Raiders fan you have to admit that that did not have an impact on the play it was going to be a touchdown whether that whistle blows or not so to be talking about that the next day is just 
just dumb in my opinion. I, it's, I it's definitely not... heard the whistle even from the nosebleed yeah. seats that we had, but I think it would have been way worse if they called that touchdown back. back. Yes. Way worse. He was inbounds, clearly. And while you could say the defensive back didn't make a play on the ball because he heard the whistle, I think that's part of it as well. It's obviously a fucking mistake from the refs. Yeah. Like, Jerome Boger and that crew is not co- not refereeing the rest of the postseason because of that mistake. But I don't think it was as big of an impact on the outcome of the game as, like, Raiders fans are obviously making it, right? But yeah. you got to admit – when you're in the stadium like that, you're looking for every piece you can, right? Oh, my gosh. You know, like yeah. I think uh, fandom drives a lot of that, even though, like, realistically, it would have been absurd if they called that back. Mm-hmm. It was a clean legal play, a mistake by the ref. I think they called it the right way, I ultimately will, after the mistake. I agree. I will say this, okay? So about the Bengals offensively, they cannot go into their shell like that if they expect to beat the Titans, Bills, Chiefs, make it through the AFC. They can't be calling plays like that. We talked about it's something we've been harping on all season. 13 runs versus only 14 passes on first down. And to me, the bigger thing was they were not even utilizing play action. If you're going to go run heavy, then take shots off that running game. Like if you're going to give the ball to Joe Mixon 13 times on first down for only 34 yards and basically just punt on first down (laughs) that many times, at least try to take advantage of what that does to the eyes of the opposing linebackers, opposing safeties, whatever, and take some shots down the field off it. They ran five play action dropbacks all game long. Josh Allen, we're going to talk about that game next. 16 of his 31 dropbacks drop a play action. That's how you run an offense when you have that lead and the opposing defense expects you to be running. First down is a play action down and taking shots, especially with the personnel the Bengals have. They did not do that. And I think if they get a lead against Tennessee or whatever in the future, they cannot afford to take the pedal off the metal. Uh, against the offenses they're going to face the rest of the way. Not at all. It was going to be one of the comments I had as well. They did not throw the ball a ton on early downs. A lot of that because they had the lead. But the only reason the Raiders are a huge reason why the Raiders, who just from the first whistle to the last, were not as good of an opponent as the Bengals, right? They were not good. The only reason they're even in this game on the final play is because of how conservative Zach Taylor and that offense was. 3.1 yards per carry for Joe Mixon on early downs. 16 of his 17 carries came on first or second down, and he averaged 3.1 yards per carry. Meanwhile, Desmond Trufant's old ass is out there getting cooked on every snap. How are you not taking advantage of that? I don't understand. They lose Brandon Faison. They have Desmond Trufant out there getting legitimately wrecked and they were refusing to switch sides or have anyone follow Jamar Chase. It was a disaster. I mean, I, the fact that Zach Taylor let the Raiders get back into this game, I think it's a huge concern. And they, they, it's literally what we said in the last two weeks of the Bengals, you know, where Joe Burrow mm-hmm. played against the Ravens, against the Chiefs. You keep this gas pedal down, you keep leaning into Burrow, you keep leaning into Chase, you can't put up 40 against anyone. Yeah. The fact that they only put up 26 against a terrible Raiders team at home, a lot of that is because of this conservative play calling down the stretch, which they're lucky that fourth and nine wasn't going to an actually good football player instead of like Foss Moreau or Zay Jones, whoever it was. They're, they're obviously very fortunate. And on that last play, we didn't even talk about this. Curl flats on fourth and nine on that last play. What are we doing? What's the, what, why are we running two flats? I'm fourth and nine. Just in case. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, car, man. Car, car loves a good flat route. I, I will say it, but to criticize Zach Taylor, he had one of my favorite play calls of the weekend, that fourth down play call, the pitch to Jamar Chase. Yeah, short that was yardage sick. was awesome. You get Joe Burrow creeping up, thinking it's going to be a sneak. Everyone gets in tight. Jamar Chase comes around. They actually got three handoffs in that game. If they take a page out of sort of San Francisco's playbook, and that pitch there to Jamar was just – the same thing that the 49ers do with Debo Samuel and get the ball in his hands more, I that, that's going to be a weapon for them going forward. Because obviously you know how good Jamar Chase is with the ball in his hands, but I just think it's a better way of utilizing the run game and keeping the defense off balance. 
So I think more of that going forward if you're the Bengals. I want to save a lot of the Bengals-Titans preview talk for the Thursday episode, but man, can we talk about what the hell the Raiders do? I was talking to, so we had some of the Raiders beat writers from ESPN and The Athletic come by the office and talk through just what a wild season this was. They gave some credence to what the Harbaugh rumors are and all that stuff, and a lot of the conversation was, they win this game, a lot changes, right? Derek Carr comes back, Versace comes back, Mayock comes back, and they really run this thing back. Now that they've lost, everything's back on the table. And I had a tweet that got legitimately roasted by Raiders fans saying that I would rather trade Derek Carr for a first-round pick and some change, knowing that Carson Wentz literally was traded for a first-round pick. I know I can get a first-round pick and change for Derek Carr before I pay him a Kirk Cousins contract, a $33 million contract. He's comfortably in for me, a top 10 to 14 quarterback in the NFL. And this supporting cast, for the Raiders, including the coaching staff, is just not going to be good enough before you can actually take advantage of him before you have to pay him this money, right? This is the last year of his deal. The right side of the offensive line is terrible. They need to make upgrades at like six, seven different starting spots on defense. And the receiving core is Hunter Renfro and everybody else. Yeah. And Darren Waller, obviously, who played, you know, played well. They had that scene to Darren Waller that was obviously impressive. But like, you pay Derek Carr a Kirk Cousins-esque contract, it just puts so much pressure on you to hit every draft pick, and spend money well in free agency. And I just don't think the Raiders are capable of that with a new GM coming in, a new coach coming in. I would be, I think they need a complete reset. You need to completely reset on the sideline, obviously in the front office and under center and actually approach this rebuild because even if you do commit to Derek Carr, who again is a good quarterback, top 10 to 14 in my opinion, you're not going to have the supporting cast big enough for him to go deep in the postseason in time before you have to pay him a shitload of money. Yeah, I mean, they have – it's almost like too soon to even speak on because you don't know who the head coach is going to be. You don't know who the GM is going to be. And, like, yeah, you can get first-rounders, but have you seen their track record of first-rounders under Mayock? Yeah. Now, was it Gruden? Was it not? See, like, there's just, like, a lot of question marks that, like, trying to make a definitive statement. But I do agree that he's going to command big money after next year. Jared Goff They're, ranks ninth. In, in, in uh, average re salary per year. So you're going to have to clear Goff's figure, right? And you get him into this top seven, top six quarterback number across a multi-year deal, yeah. you're going to need to improve this roster in a hurry. Kirk Cousins can't even make the playoffs with Justin Jefferson in that team. Like It's going to be very difficult for them to win with Derek Carr on that next contract unless they like legitimately slam dunk a handful of draft picks. Yeah, I think that's the problem. It's just you just drafted too poorly with – to then pay Derek Carr and expect to keep winning. Let's get to Patriots Bills. This was our dump truck of the week. No, it wasn't. It wasn't? What was it? I think I said Cowboys was my dump truck. Of oh the week. no. But Dang. this was ended I mean this was, ended up being a dump truck. It was. Patriots at Bills in Buffalo. Bills are only favored by four or and a half. This my dump truck of the week. This might have been. It might have been. I think, I think it, it might have been. Yeah. Anyway, Bills favored by four and a half at home. And, oh, my God, this game was never close. And we this game was after the Bengals-Raiders game where I wanted nothing of football. I was fortunate enough to be done with this game. Probably, like, the second quarter I turned it off. Bills win 47-17, dude. An absurd, an absurd blowout win over the Patriots at home. Ryan Fitzpatrick was in attendance, which was absolutely incredible. But I wanted to focus this part of it on Mac Jones. Mac Jones in weeks 1 through 10 was a top five graded quarterback in PFF, mm -hmm. at PFF. He ranked fifth in PFF grade. Since week 11, he ranks 24th in PFF grade. He's really slowed down the stretch. When we had Nate Tyson, he talked about how much he, over the last few weeks, has just not played up to expectation. And that 
was evident again in this game. And he didn't grade awfully, but it just wasn't enough to stop what was an absolute juggernaut of a Bills team on both sides of the ball. That Micah Hyde interception was fucking absurd. Josh Allen earned the highest PFF grade in a single game we've ever seen at the position. 98+. plus. Just dump trucking the Patriots. Mac Jones just simply not enough on the other side of the ball to match what was just an onslaught. I'm scared for the Chiefs. I don't want to preview a ton. They're favored by two and a half at home over the Bills. But this Bills team is nasty. And they're coming in hot, hot and heavy. I'd be worried if I was a Chiefs backer right now. That two and a half point line, they're favored. I get it. But early, early looks, I kind of like the Bills on the money line. So this is the Josh Allen experience. It is. It is. It we is, said, it is. I said it a couple weeks ago. I was like, he has the most games graded at 90-plus overall this year. Wow, really? He had the most games graded of 90-plus overall this year. He also had six ga- five, four games excuse me, below 55. Like, he is the biggest swings we've seen from a quarterback shit this season, like maybe ever. Like you, you don't get that high a high end and that low a low. Like Brian Fitzpatrick, maybe, is the only one who can like come into that realm. But that, even this high end is not like Josh Allen's high end. This was an all-time performance. No like sugarcoating it. That was probably the – I mean, at least offensively, it was the best offensive performance. From the quarterback position, probably if the best, if not one of the best of all time. They scored a touchdown on literally every single drive. So I don't know how you could do too much better than that, <laughs> but outside of their kneel downs. So it's kind of a microcosm, though, this game. And it's maybe not fair to say, but why you chase that high, why teams are chasing that high end of the quarterback position, why you chase the Trey Lance over the Mac Jones. And again, Mac Jones has outperformed expectations for a rookie. He has been very good, but we did say like, you know, he's still a rookie, but it's, this is what your ceiling can be, or this is what you can perform. What Josh Allen just did there against a top five defense this season. When you have the rushing ability, when you have the arm talent, and when you just have that innate athleticism that a guy like Josh Allen does that can just dominate you in every which way. And the stat I love is that on plays over 3.5 seconds, so any passing concept in the NFL will have routes break off under three and a half seconds. If, it's, if a pass is thrown after three and a half seconds, it is basically outside of structure, as it's called. On plays outside of structure in this game, he had, I believe, uh, what was it, eight dropbacks outside of structure. 1.7 EPA per play on those dropbacks. He went four or five for 102 yards, two touchdowns, three runs for 43 yards, no sacks. That is what that brings you when you have that arm, when you have that escapability, when you are that kind of athlete. The top four teams in EPA per dropback on plays that lasted 3.5 seconds or more this year were the Titans, Bills, Chiefs, and Chargers. Four quarterbacks with, I mean, Ryan Tannehill was wide receiver. He got four quarterbacks with athleticism and with arms. That is what people are chasing because those plays are usually dead plays when you have a pure pocket passer. Yeah. Like those are, those are throwaways. Getting, exactly. Like a lot of those throwaways, a lot of those, you're not even getting there. Sacks. He's, he's checking it down before that. These guys offer that. And that's what games like this. That's what he can bring to the table. It was truly awesome to watch. And if anything, I mean, we talked about with the Raiders Bengals game, right? These like critical mistakes, these moments, these inches to quote <laughs> to any given Sunday, but like, that these are the type of quarterbacks that win in the postseason. Yeah. Because in the postseason, where everything's condensed, the sample size is smaller, you need to be the team that has a quarterback that makes fewer mistakes and has weight as has higher end out of structure. Because mm-hmm. it's gonna happen. Well, and, I mean, like, and, and even going back to like who are the quarterbacks that have made runs, quote unquote, Eli Manning, Joe Flacco, downfield passers, 
not Alex Smith. You know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's like the guys who can give Foles. you that variance, give you the high end variance by attacking down the football field. The high end period, right? Whether yeah. it's coming via variance or you're just Patrick Mahomes and it happens every week, you need the high end in the playoffs. You're not going to get there anymore with the Trent Dilfers of the world, right? Where you're going mm-hmm. in and you're trying to beat team 6-3. Like, that just doesn't yeah. happen. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, your defense is never going to be able to compete with that. You're going to need to bring in guys like Josh Allen, like Mahomes, like Rodgers, all these QBs that will be in deep in the postseason that can actually chase that high. And, I mean, it's a big reason why the San Francisco 49ers almost fucking lost. And we're going to get to that game. But Jimmy G missing some of those big throws <laughs> was like – and the pick or the near fumble, mm-hmm. they're, that's what – makes San Francisco a four-point dog against the Dallas Cowboys down the road. That's what nearly has them come back and win that game if they don't call a quarterback sneak or some other things bounce their way. Or Mike McCarthy makes, like, one good decision in the last 15 minutes of that game. There's a lot of reasons why the Dallas Cowboys are not moving on and why, despite Jimmy G and him not maybe being this high-end variance guy, is moving on in the postseason. But any other takeaways specifically from this one? Uh, any any, oh, por- any yes. post-mortem analysis on the, on the Patriots, maybe? The Patriots... I actually don't have too much post-mortem analysis. I just think, like, they're a good team that just needs better playmakers offensively. I I didn't quite get their offensive spending in free agency last year because you weren't really – like, those guys weren't playmakers. Like, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. John Smith, Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry, John Smith aren't needle movers. They kind of just, like, filled out a roster to be okay on offense and thought that would be enough to get by when, like, I'd rather spend one – you know, a little bit more money on one guy you know is a difference maker. None of those guys are. So TBD, if they can find one in this year's draft or free agency or wherever they're going to be looking. But that is what this offense needs. I will say so, other side of the ball, that Micah Hyde pick at the beginning was an insane play. Coming from the middle of the field, Levi Wallace is cooked on a double move. Big window to throw into. For him to not only track that ball down, but to catch it over the shoulder – you don't see defensive backs with ball skills like that. Like, a lot of defensive backs aren't even finding that ball. They're looking at the wide receiver committing P.I. on a play like that. For him to find it, go over the shoulder, pick it off, when Mac Jones had just had two big third-down conversions, the last two sets of downs before that, has this guy wide open, could tie the game up. They get a pick, go back down, score seven. I think there was that – no, Josh Allen's first touchdown was the sick one that was in the back of the end zone. But – I'll go up 14-0, and then it was coast. That was it for the rest of the game. But that pick by Micah Hyde was very, very nasty. Something that I'm kind of stunned by, and you brought it up with the playmakers thing. I remember early in the offseason or right after free agency, oh, man, they signed John Smith and Hunter Henry to monster deals. They're going to play a ton of 12. They ranked bottom five in percentage of 12 personnel used this season. I don't understand why they didn't play them together more. Like, why? They're both, like, top six pay tight ends now to have – them not seeing the field at the same time just felt insane to me. Um, yeah, but John Smith played 545 snaps this year. That's that's absurd. That doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, all right, let's get to Eagles Bucks. Before we do, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast is DraftKings. We're on the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with huge odds boost with a huge odds boost for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl Fifty Six, new customers can get fifty six to one odds on any team. Bet just five dollars on and get two hundred two hundred eighty 
in free bets if your team wins. The sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. You can still get in on the action of the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win. 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Only minimum five dollar deposit, one dollar wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm excited for them to add to New York to that read. Only New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania need New York in the mix. Um, Bucks Eagles. This was kind of the trendy pick against the spread for a dog, and it was a trendy money line pick a dog uh, right outright this line i think opened up at nine ish yeah nine and a half and it got all the way down to seven like people were betting the eagles all the way up to kick it opened up eight and a half and it got down to seven which is pretty significant getting down to the key number seven like if we got to seven and a half that's not as big of a movement but from a probabilities perspective getting down to a clean seven is impressive for eagles backers now came nowhere close bucks win 31 15 over the philadelphia eagles and a lot of the conversation was around Jalen Hurts, right? Jalen Hurts missing throws. Jalen Hurts not living up to the moment, not winning the game, right, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Bucs look good, too. They had some injuries, which is like, I want to talk a little bit about why Worse was playing so deep into this game, why Jensen was playing when the game was seemingly in control and they're putting him on the football field. But start with Jalen Hurts. Your takeaways from him in this game and also, you know, the vaunted question. What do the Eagles do with Jalen Hurts now going into 2022? I'm ready. I am ready to talk about it. Let's go. And it's you can't put all your eggs in that basket is what I will say about Jalen Hurts because it goes back to that high-end conversation that I had a while ago after I said I want to stop talking about it. It's, yeah, he played, you know, seven or eight weeks of, like, competent football like seven or eight weeks where it's like solid. But did he ever go out and win you a game? You know, like does he, does he go out and play the kind of football that can go toe-to-toe with, you know, Aaron Rodgers? Or shit, even this game, Tom Brady? Can he go toe-to-toe with Tom Brady when Tom Brady's playing well and win you a game? He never he – did, he didn't show that much this year. You know, like outside of maybe week one against Atlanta, which was ended up being his highest-graded game all year. And, again, it's Atlanta there was not a time where he was just like carving up through the air with his arm. And that's the bigger thing here is like they did a good job of slowing down this run game. And then he had no answers with his arm was missing throws left and right, throwing balls into windows. He should not have been forcing it. It was just, it was ugly. And so now you have these three first rounders. They're not as high as you would like, but I think in this quarterback class and, and, and almost them being not as high as you would like almost behooves you almost makes it more likely that I would throw a dart at this wide receiver class because it's like, what are you going to do? You got the 19th overall pick. What else are you going to do with it? You're going to draft Jamin Davis, who went 19th overall last year. I mean, like, you draft a linebacker, maybe it moves the needle a little bit for you, but I think you just need higher-end options at this quarter at the quarterback position than what Jalen Hurts brings to the table. No. Eagles currently picking at 15, 16, and 19 in the 2022 NFL draft. I think how you first – Comment on that was perfect. You can't put all of your eggs in this basket. And fortunately for Philly, yeah. they have a shitload of eggs. Yeah. Right? Like if they had one first round pick, 
the conversation is different. The conversation is, man, you kind of have to make a decision. Do yeah. you want to support Jalen Hurts with an offensive, you know, offensive lineman, a receiver, a playmaker, or do you want to get someone in that can compete? Now with three, why not use one of those to get someone who can compete with Jalen Hurts? And I think for Jalen Hurts, a lot of positives – and some people are making, you know, um, connections to Lamar Jackson's first 15 starts. I think I saw a TikTok from Jordan Palmer. I've been on TikTok more now, comparing Lamar Jackson's figures in his first 15 games to Jalen Hurts's, and they're very similar. Now, the high end for Lamar Jackson is objectively higher than what Jalen Hurts offers from a high end perspective. Now, but he still can fill that mold. My opinion is, is that you that's enough to keep him in the conversation, but not enough to, like you said, put all your eggs in. Just Jalen Hurts next year, especially with the picks that you do have, and especially having three first-round picks. Now, a lot of the conversation for Philly, too, has been, who has Jalen Hurts beat? Who have the Eagles beat? Not a good record versus playoff teams, et cetera. These are the quarterbacks. They beat one, right? They beat one. They didn't beat a single playoff team in this season. These are the quarterbacks they beat. Matt Ryan, Sam Darnold, Jared Goff, Teddy Bridgewater, Trevor Simeon, Zach Wilson, Garrett Gilbert, Mike Glennon slash Jake Fromm. They played both in that game. And Taylor Heineke. Who's the best quarterback on that list? Matt Ryan? I mean, yeah, it's Matt Ryan. But, <laughs> but even a shell of what Matt Ryan has been yeah. this year. So as much as this season has been positive, you make the playoffs, you exceed expectations. They were, according to betting markets, one of the you know the ones that get biggest wrong, right? Like Eagles. You said, I, me shit, too. You said to yourself that <laughs> yeah. they could get the number one overall yeah, pick. Yeah, like they could get the number one overall pick. I think they were projected four and a half wins. They exceed expectations by in multiple ways. Yeah. Is that enough for you to put, like you said, all the eggs in one basket and put all the chips forward and commit to Jalen Hurts, I don't think so when given the opportunity with three first-round picks to to consider a quarterback. And also, like, it's disingenuous, you say in Jordan Palmer, comparing his stats to Lamar Jackson's when, like... Yeah. No. Lamar, like, one, Lamar's been criticized a lot as a passer. And two, Lamar Jackson is on another level as a runner, which is, like... A good portion of his value. You yes. know, like he is the most dynamic runner at the quarterback position since Michael Vick. That but that's the argument value, these Eagles you know? fans are so, doing, though, right? The yeah. Eagles fans are saying, hey, like he's not the most accurate quarterback. He doesn't have Josh Allen's arm talent. But we still think in this Lamar Jackson mold of an offense where it's running the football and it's, it's, it's prioritizing safe throws, yeah. we can win football games. And you can. But it's, again, chasing this high-end variance, maybe he doesn't have that, especially not in the same tier that Lamar Jackson has. Why not? Why not, with one of these fucking poker chips that you have in the first round, take a flyer on a quarterback if you're – and everyone's like, this quarterback class stinks. This quarterback class stinks. If the Eagles front office likes one of these guys, it doesn't matter what you think if you think the quarterback Mm -hmm. class stinks on Twitter. If the Eagles front office thinks one of these guys has as much or more potential to be a starting quarterback in the NFL compared to Jalen Hurts – then you have to swing that bat, especially with the opportunities you have. And you saw it on the back-breaking pick before the half. There was a window there. Go back, look at the All-22. I don't, I can't remember if they showed it on the TV copy, like just exactly where I believe it was Mike Edwards was prior to the throw. But there is space there for Devontae Smith. He was fairly open. A window that Josh Allen gets the ball there in time, Patrick Mahomes gets the ball there in time, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterbacks, a lot of the lead quarterbacks in the NFL have the arm to get the ball into that window prior to Mike Edwards getting there. Jalen Hurts does not. That ball died on him. Gets to the goal line. Mike Edwards picks it off. Game over. Right there. And that's kind of the difference. And then again, you say it. It's like, yeah, you win games in the regular season. You beat up on the list of shit quarterbacks that you obviously don't want starting yeah. that you would move on from right away. Except for maybe Taylor Heineke. You would probably stick with Taylor Heineke? No, absolutely. Okay. Taylor I thought you were a Taylor, Taylor Heineke, Heineke, Heineke starts the week one <laughs> – 
game for the Washington football team in 2022, I will lose my mind. See, that's my bad. I thought you were a big Taylor Heineke guy. But the, you got to beat the quarterbacks that make those throws. Exactly. those windows is the problem. So it's that's what we're comparing here. It's not – I mean, the other part of this too, and we haven't had this conversation yet, is they were the seventh seed. Yeah. They were – Either Not the in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, you know? They were either the 13th or 14th best team in the NFL, according to playoff standings. Yeah. And it's like that, if you want to be the 13th or 14th best team, here, I'll say it. Jalen Hurts can consistently make you the 13th or 14th best team in the NFL. That's a fact. I, that, that's how good he is, at least consistently. Now, do you have confidence that he'll ever be the leader of a top six team or a top four team or a team that's favored in the playoffs or at home in the playoffs? I've said this a thousand times on this podcast, but it needs to be fucking hammered home. The goal in the NFL is not to win a Super Bowl. It is to consistently compete for Super Bowls. That's it. That's it. It's not to win a Super Bowl because Nick Foles can win a Super Bowl. Eli Manning can win a Super Bowl. You need to consistently compete for Super Bowls. And how you do that is you're consistently favored and you're consistently at home in the playoffs. And how you do that is you have a fucking good quarterback. That's a fact. That's it. That's it. That's literally point blank it. I mean, even ask... Well, it's not even just have a good quarterback, but just going to a different point. Ask Mike Quinn. I know he's not on the mic today, but the Bengals for seven years, was it, tried to talk themselves into Andy Dalton being that guy, got to the playoffs a number of times, built one of the best rosters in the NFL in 2015, still lost in the first round of the playoffs. Joe Burrow comes in, flawed roster. You, there's holes at a lot of different positions. They're starting Eli Apple at cornerback. Their offensive line stinks. Joe Burrow wins them a home playoff game year two because that difference maker, that guy at that position, is just how you win games in the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think we – I don't want to be a dead horse yeah. too much. I want to focus a little bit on Tampa Bay because we're going to be talking whether or not you should go to quarterback probably all offseason on this podcast uh, for multiple teams. But for the Bucs – I thought this was an impressive win. Like I said, a lot of the money was bet on the Bucks not to cover the eight and a half. It got all the way down to seven. This was a trendy upset pick, but they go in and show up, man. They, they looked good in this game. The bigger takeaways I had, though, was just like, why were Tristan Wurst and Ryan Jensen playing? And Timo Riske, PFF underscore Moo, sent out a tweet that like I kind of agreed with, where the fact that Wurst and Jensen were in that game gives more credence to Antonio Brown's claims that he was forced to play. Like, why in the hell are you playing two of your best players on offense, period, Yeah. in a game where you're up, like, 20 when they're battling injuries? And then Worfs went back in and got hurt again. Like, unless it's, like, Jensen and Worfs, like, we're, we're playing no matter what type of situation. Like, it's, like, them who's leading the charge. I don't know. But that was – it was definitely – I'm not saying I'm, like, I'm siding with Antonio Brown and all this shit. But, like, it was, it was very fucking interesting to see those guys back in that game when that game was out of hand, in my opinion, this is going to lead me back to my seven seed take and why I hate seven seed. And it's like one, this was a team that was what half game above 500. They were nine and eight this year, the Eagles. It really had no business playing a two seed in the box who had the same record as the Packers, the one seed like, and then we now might be in a playoff without the best right tackle in football Yeah, because of it. Yeah. Because they had to go in this meaningless game that they blew them out, but Tristan Wirfs gets hurt in it. And now I mean, it's just like your college football playoff. Yeah, it could be the difference between. It's why everyone's like, "Oh, expansion! You hate football." It's like mm, I don't hate football. I just think there should be some level of deservedness for teams that played well throughout the regular season. So we're not diminishing that and giving them a leg up in the competition and not getting guys hurt. Yeah, your take on that kind of got destroyed. People hated that take from you. But like I, the number yeah. one reason it's not going anywhere, Mike. 
I don't care if every single seven seed gets blown out for the rest of eternity. They made a lot more money this week than they did last week with an extra game or two. That's going to be – that's the factor. That's what matters. That's what matters. But I agree with you. If you want the best team to win, the best team in the NFL to win the Super Bowl every single year, you're just going to have to do a fewer amount of games, right? To, extending it to where you 14 of 32 teams make the playoffs, you know, forcing really good football teams like the Chiefs and the Bucks to go into really bad seven seeds where they're more than a touchdown favorite. I mean, you're just going to add more variance. You're going to add more worst injuries, Jensen injuries, um, that TJ Watt pick that like almost went, or it was like a, a fumble six or something where he went to the house. Like more of that variance, you could have really good football teams missing yeah. out in the postseason, but ultimately both those teams win. 49ers, Cowboys. I did not expect this. I was disappointed. I was Skip Bayless levels of disappointed in the Cowboys. Disappointed. This team is too good. And Jerry Jones, I don't agree with Jerry Jones a ton. Probably not a lot of things. This guy's got a different life than I do. But he comes out, and say. one of the first things he said, I don't have a yacht. One of the first things he says, when you have this much talent, you expect success. And the, this was disaster. You're favored by three and a half at home. And yeah, the Niners match up well. And yeah, this was a buzzsaw. And the Niners played well, whatever, whatever. Give credence to them. Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb. Even, I mean, hell, Dalton Schultz, an offensive line. That was healthy. Defense with an all-pro corner. DeMarcus Lawrence, Michael Parsons healthy. How the fuck are you losing this game? And losing it and never really even being in control, right? Like, they had to, like, come back in this game off some Jimmy G classic stuff to even be in it. Like, they, they were never in control of this game. San Francisco was always in control, beat them on both sides of the ball. How does Dallas come out so flat and miss the and now go one and done in the playoffs? No playoff wins with this good of a roster. And the only – one of the bigger fingers I point is Mike McCarthy. How are they coming out this flat? And then when you have to come back, how are you consistently making opposite decisions to what you know favorable win probabilities tell you? Like some of the stuff, some of the decisions not go for it on fourth down. Then he does go it on fourth down with that fake punt. Then there's a delay of game on whatever that fake punt disaster was, whatever that okay, was. So I I think they were trying to not sub, thinking that the 49ers would sub, just assuming that they would come out onto the. So assuming that the offense was going to come back out on the field, so you run your punt team off, you get guys in the middle of the sub, and they were just got a quick snap to try to get a 12-man on the field, whatever penalty, and get five free yards. But they waited too long because the 49ers realized, don't end up subbing, just get in formation. And then all of a sudden, they leave them on until like there was 15 seconds left in the play clock and try to run their offense out there. So that was kind of absurd. But I get the sort of thought behind it. The execution was – it was just not the time to, to be going for – to trying to bite off this small edge of five yards yeah. when you're down two scores late in that game. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is a good excuse or not, but, like, I've also never seen anyone do that. Like, it, yeah. like how does that even come to mind? Like, I've, ne I've literally never seen anyone do that. And you're going to do that when you're trailing big in the playoffs? Like, I thought, I thought they were rushing to the snap because they didn't think – they thought it was going to get overturned or something. And they were just going to quick snap it to make sure no one looked at him being out of bounds or something. But then that, the, to get a delay a game off that was one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. And then some of the decisions not go for it on fourth down even before that put them in a pretty decent hole. And then ultimately, can we talk about the ultimate thing? The QB draw. Yes. Give me soup to nuts your take on this decision here. Awful. I mean, like, so, okay, I would like to see some probabilities here, but I will if I'm – head coach or you know, just calling plays give me two chances from 40 yards at Hail Marys and shit there was what 18 seconds left or 14 seconds left on the clock you may get three chances it, depending you're at home you got a home clock keeper 
you may get three chances at a Hail Mary there from the 40, then one from the 25. I don't think it's making that big of a difference in the sort of concepts you're going to run. They're still going to flood the end zone and make you basically have a jump ball. You can do a jump ball from the 42. So I, don't, I didn't understand that whatsoever. And the play call, to have it be a sneak, or I guess a draw, a sneak, but instead of a pass, just guy slide down, like that would be much quicker in terms of like Dak has to go five yards to get back to the line of scrimmage and then 10, whatever, 15 yards to get to where he needs to go to think it's a better opportunity for them. Like, I don't blame the refs at all. The refs didn't do anything wrong there. That was just on the Cowboys 100,000%. Yeah, obviously, I think a lot of Cowboys fans are livid at the refs and that ref coming in it looks like he's like truck sticks Dak Prescott truck sticks Dak Prescott and the uh did I say Dick Prescott <laughs> the truck sticks Dak Prescott <clears throat> in the center and they ultimately like are like a second short from getting the spot whatever but Eric on the forecast last night made a great point it's like when you are making decisions you have to factor in that randomness and that volatility right and when you do a quarterback sneak and you gotta rush there and you gotta factor in the ref running up and chasing him like all that stuff matters like it puts you in so much more risk why not just fire it to dalton schultz over the middle and have him slide at a certain down and blame the players you have to give that ball to the ref period period dak trying to set that and snap it himself is ridiculous yeah. like you can't you do give that it to a center yeah no you give it to the center and like center just puts it down like like, you have to give the ball to the ref. You, it's the Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. Larry Fitzgerald was the king of that. Look right to the Literally ref. gets up and gives it right to the ref every single time in those situations. Dak should have slid and found the fucking ref. It doesn't matter if they spot you four yards back, three yards back. It's going to be in the right range. Get it to the ref, have him set it, and run it. And there was, you know, it was a bad decision on uh, the Dallas Cowboys part, I think, in my opinion, to run that. You'd rather throw it. And it was obviously just, like, not a good not a good execution of that play. You got to slide a little bit earlier or give the ball right to the ref. That was uh, huge concerns there. And ultimately, you know, you're seeing reports now that Mike McCarthy's coming back and they're going to run this thing back. But, like, changes have to be made. you got you got to make some fucking decisions here. Like, how how are you this talented and not winning in the postseason and making mistakes like this? Like, something has to change on in-game management. There's a joke every single week about Mike McCarthy keeping his timeouts for points and never spending those correctly. Game management needs to improve. And play calling in those clutch situations needs to improve. And Dak needs to get healthy. That's an underrated part of the season. In weeks 1 through 10, he was a fourth-graded passer according to PFF. After week 10, he graded outside the top 10 in PFF grade. Started to struggle, and everyone kind of commented on it. He did not look good since the post-injury. A lot of things have to get better for the Dallas Cowboys, and it starts with game management, I think, on the sideline, and then ultimately just showing up in these clutch situations. Yeah, McCarthy doesn't have a strong case, I'll say, to like return as that coach, even if maybe they said he would. But they led the league in penalties this year. They have what 14 penalties this past week that just like screw them like they, that was they're consistently behind the chains because whether it's false starts holds whatever even defensive line holds which you rarely see they had two of them in that game just undisciplined play offense just so much more inconsistent than they should be with just the level of talent yeah when you think about how many teams have can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with their playmakers and offensive line combination maybe the Bucks, like that's about it. There, there's not a lot of teams that have that. And kind of the underrated thing that no one really wanted to talk about with this Cowboys team, this was it. This is, that was their window this year. They have, there were $13 million over the cap next year. They have the most cap commitments in 2023 right now. Dak Prescott's number, cap number goes from 17 million this year to 34 million next year to 45 million to 48 million. And all of a sudden, you the cannot. Zeke contract blows up too as it goes forward. Zeke contract they can't get out from under until 2023, and even then they're going to have to eat over 10 million dollars in dead cap to cut him in 2023. To the where you 
aren't going to be able to add free agent talent. You're not going to be able to re-sign free agents like Michael Gallup, like Randy Gregory this offseason, guys that are legitimately making an impact for your team. It's going to be a whale of a time to fit them in and even just run it back with this roster. And yeah, they drafted really well. Micah Parsons finding him was a godsend. That really transformed this defense. But it's just going to be difficult, and they're just going to keep chipping away and that this was kind of it. And a first-round exit in the wildcard round is your high end. Is It's just scary. They're going to have to get really creative with how they improve yeah. this offseason. And that, you know, on this podcast, we talk a ton about approaching free agency, approaching the draft, and trying to find ways to improve it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. They don't have a lot of money to spend and they're going to have to hit on the draft picks that they do have. And that's when other teams are getting better and other teams are better positioned to improve the rosters. Guys if San Francisco probably in a better position and they just won. That's going to be tough to see, man. I mean, some, some things have to change. Let's get the Steelers teams. Oh, well, I just want to make one more note. Cause we didn't really talk about the 49ers at all. Oh, fair, fair. And I want to say this, how they've started deploying Debo Samuel. This is going to sound like hyperbole. I swear it's probably not. It might be. Transform their season. They were three and five heading into week 10. That Miami that Monday night football game against the Rams. That is when they started putting Debo Samuel at running back. He has had at least five snaps a game at running back every single game since. He has generated 31.3 total EPA or on those snaps. 0.337 EPA per play when he lines up in the backfield. It has been a game changer for this offense has gotten Brandon Ayuk more involved in the passing game, featured him more on the outside because of Debo Samuel being in the backfield has done a lot for this offense and just been a nightmare for opposing defenses to have to account for because he might be the best running back in the NFL with the ball in his hands. Yeah. He has been absurd in terms of he had the highest broken tackle rate this season of any NFL player we've ever charted with at least 50 carries. Over a third of his touches, over a third of his touches, his carries, he broke a tackle. Just unreal stuff from him that guy is dynamic as hell and scary for the Packers next week shit there's an article on pff.com from you about mm. Debo Samuel Did and I read how that? he's being leveraged that's how you wrote it <laughs> and then also Seth Galina wrote a really good article on yeah. the Dallas Cowboys and kind of a postmortem on like what the fook went down with the Dallas Cowboys I think Ian Hart had said something coming out in the Cowboys as well I mean it just doesn't make sense right there's a lot of content off of a Cowboys team this talented not winning in the playoffs favorite at home that's just yeah. it I mean that's a fact with not a lot of key injuries right like Tyron Smith played in this game Micah Parsons played in this game Randy Gregory Demarcus Lawrence Amari Cooper CeeDee Lamb and you still don't show up and you still don't win one of the most damning things from that article but from Seth about the Cowboys offense and just damning of like McCarthy and Kellen Moore was like how they don't have answers for coverages they're not expecting and going back and looking Dak Prescott's passer rating is 73.6 against the sky's coverages the only guys lower than that are like rookies and Ben Roethlisberger Jeez. that is not and that's Dak Prescott. You have, yeah. you know, like you with, have, yeah, that's with Amari Cooper. That's with C.D. Lamb. That's with Michael Gallup for most of the season. Like to be that bad when you have, when you face coverages you're not expecting is, it's not, it's not good. And, and Kellen Moore, the office coordinator, is getting like head coaching interest, right? Yeah. I mean, like you could be without Kellen Moore next year and there's some shift there. I mean, God, I don't want to talk about the Cowboys anymore, but it, it's bleak over there, man. They need to make some plays. Uh, I have one little side note before we get to Steelers Chiefs because this just came across the timeline, and I just need you to react. That's it. Matt Rule for the Carolina Panthers is considering Ben McAdoo as his offensive coordinator. Oh, man. He'll Lord interview Packers for the position. He was – what was he? Is the OC for the Giants? Yeah. Or he was the head coach. He was the head coach of the Giants. Yeah, because he was the OC for the Packers. He's interviewing for the OC job on Tuesday. That people hated with the New York. The scheme was so – it was like he turned Eli Manning into Alex Smith that one year. 
Oof. I'm scared. Yeah, it could, I'm be, scared. It could be for Sam Darnold, though. That couldn't. That might not be the worst thing. <laughs> uh, you said Big Ben. Did you see the next-gen stats passing chart for Big Ben? He didn't have a single target when, like, seven yards downfield. Is that true? That, yeah, that's what the that's what the next gen passing map said. No, what was the he had that one early on to Deontay that he overthrew? Or was that a, a, a called back by flag? Maybe he got called back by flag. If you look up the look at Big Ben passing chart on Twitter right now, it is a disaster, dude. It might maybe there's one, dude. There is there is two further than ten yards downfield. I will say Big Ben gets shit on though. This is what they signed up for when they hired Matt Canada. His offense is like this. They they he has to go too. Like Big Ben obviously has to go. He's past his prime, but like this was a poor fit from the start that never really should have just never should have happened. Brutal scene for Big Ben. Steelers were twelve point dogs, and while they started off kind of hot, some defensive plays, I think they 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 led seven zero off a TJ Watt fumble return to the house. Then the the Patrick Holmes turned into a god down the stretch. I think after the first quarter, he threw yeah. for five TDs. The The Chiefs Arrowhead Stadium ran out of fireworks for the scores because they were blowing them up. Chiefs went 42-21. I put never in doubt, but really never in doubt after the first quarter. But also, like, I think you have this comment in here, and I agree with it, where, like, Eric mentioned, this is like the Houston Chiefs game. 2019 Chiefs game. Yeah. Jackson's Chiefs playoff game. Where the Chiefs came out flat. I think they went down, like, 21 or something. Yeah. And then Patrick Mahomes just turned it on. Yeah. Now, the Steelers did the same thing, but they had Big Ben, and Big, Big Ben was not making yeah. any plays downfield. Exactly. It was like that game except for, like, where nothing really is – just nothing seemingly right offensively. You're giving them every opportunity, fall in a hole, quote-unquote, but just you're facing Ben Rosberg instead of Deshaun Watson. So it's not nearly as exciting because that hole ended up being 7 nothing only because they did, the Steelers couldn't score offensively. But, yeah, this one was another get-rid-of-the-seventh-seed game, you know? Yeah. It was the Steelers – shit, Big Ben – when you said it, I thought the what his interview last week where he's like, no, nah, no one really gives us a chance, so we're just going to go out there and have fun. I thought he was being like tongue-in-cheek, like mm-hmm. saying like, yeah, you don't give us a chance, whatever. I think he was genuinely I know. serious. <laughs> I, I didn't – I was dumbfounded. I was like, no, no one would ever just be that callous and flippant about having no chance in a game. He was pretty serious. He was Dude. like, no, we don't. Like, <laughs> like there's – he was very serious. It. He was the, I ca- I rewatched the video because we were considering yeah. whether or not on social, the social team, to put a quote graphic. And I was like, nah, if it's taken out of context, it'll look kind of dumb. You watch that thing like three or four times in a row. You're like, no, he actually does not think they have a chance. He feels that they're the worst playoff team in the NFL, and they just got to go out there and have fun. And to call what they did was fun would be a joke because yeah. this offense was horrendous. Drops from Deontay Johnson weren't great. Obviously, Big Ben was not attacking downfield. They were, again, never in doubt here. Chiefs with a comfortable win. And this Patrick Mahomes, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the Bills and how good they looked. This Patrick Mahomes can go toe-to-toe with the Bills. If you show up like this, and it's been inconsistent this year, as it has been with Josh Allen, this Patrick Mahomes can go toe-to-toe with the Bills. And that is why they're two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. You don't give them the three because Josh Allen and those Bills team, Bills the number one-rated defense and EPA per play allowed – It'll give them problems. If Patrick Mahomes plays like this, no one can beat him. That's a fact. And uh, I'm excited for that round. Man, that's going to be the game of the week, right? I mean, I, of all the games you're looking forward to next week, yeah. I think Bill's Chiefs, Chiefs is going to be the best. It's gonna be, that's a heavyweight matchup. But I, my one takeaway, my lone takeaway, because I, I assume this was – I mean, no one – this game was not going to be close. No one thought that the Steelers shit were even going to cover 12. Is that Jarek McKinnon – is quite easily the best running back on the Chiefs, man. He looks good. 
like in space, making guys miss explosive as a receiver. This obviously it's like one game, but that's their best running back that, that he is a, looks like a difference maker. And now we don't obviously hype up running backs too much, but it's like, that's their best back that I've seen from them since they got rid of uh, cream hunt. Honestly. I am wanting to do a little bit of a postmortem on the Steelers. This is a team that's going to get consistently mocked. Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh and other quarterbacks on the 2022 NFL draft. It's also kind of sad. I wrote kind of sad that this was Big Ben's last game. Like Big Ben was good. Big Ben was good for the Steelers. And like these, he's literally become a meme over the last two seasons because yeah. he's been horrendous. Bottom five quarterback in the NFL over the, easily as good as the Steelers were last year, like or two years ago, I guess now. Mm-hmm. Like he has been shit for the last two years. To end like this stinks. But he's been, obviously, like, I mean, they were calling on the broadcast, first ballot Hall of Famer, two Super Bowls, 18 years in Pittsburgh. Love to see it. Najee Harris, too. I want to do a postmortem on him. Finished the year with, like, 340 touches or some absurd number. When you when you add reception, forced missed tackles on receptions, I think he had the most forced missed tackles of any team or of any running back. 77% of his yards gained after contact this year. Became one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. As good as he was this year, I, I still have doubts on, like, the value of this pick, right? And they're going to need to bring in a quarterback, and, and they're going to need to improve this offensive line before Najee is even having, like, Chubb, Taylor levels of impact at the running back position. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like we hit the nail on the head pretty much with our Steelers takes this offseason. Yeah. We're like, easy team to read. Run, do not run it back with Big Ben. We just kept saying, like, do not run it back with Big Ben. We get it. You're tied to him. He's, like, face your franchise. But you're putting yourself behind the eight ball if you do. And then do not draft Najee Harris. He's not going to make the impact you think he can behind this offensive line. It's just not going to move the needle for you. And, well, needle unfazed. <laughs> uh, any, I know you hate when I ask this, but any last-minute takeaways on the Monday night game? Rams, cards. Just, I'm just rooting for fun. Just fun. You're a piece of shit for that. All right, before we get to the fun to read and save your likes segments and close out the show, Western Southern is a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast? Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know? For your financial future, Western Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to 2500 bucks. coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and we'll have it delivered on February 13, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collins with Podcast, Western Southern's Instagram for answers for the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that's westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Fun to watch, watch. Fun to read, read. We have a handful of tweets here. Quinn did his best to get all of them in there. Renner was late to upload him to the outline, so you don't gotta say that. Blame Renner if you're gonna blame anyone. Don't blame Quinn. And uh, let's go ahead and kick ourselves off with this one's from Ari Mayrove, PFF analyst here at PFF. Him. Let's see. Whoa. This is a video. I'm gonna walk you through the video. You might not be able to hear the video, but it is a video of Zach Taylor at Mount Lookout Tavern, which has phenomenal wings in Sydney. We talked about it before. I'm yeah. a big fan of Mount Lookout Tavern's wing. I want when I saw this video, I want to go back to Mount Lookout Tavern. He said he was going to give a game ball. So I'm walking this through for the people listening on the podcast. He said he was going to give a game ball to the city of Cincinnati. He goes to Mount Lookout Tavern in Cincy and gives the game ball to a group of people who are just balling with their bros out there. Now, I will say this. Mount Lookout Tavern is a little bit of ways away from the stadium. Yeah. So this thing's not like 
Herbie fully loaded with Lindsay Lohan, like it would have been if he went to like stretch or something. Mm -hmm. But he still gets into a crowded bar and says like, "Hey, game ball, Cincy, that's fucking sweet." That, I know that. That's one of my favorite decisions Zach Taylor's made this year. That was a heck of a play call. He had that the <laughs> sick fourth down call. This was even sicker. This that's one throwing on early downs. This one is something that will ingratiate you to a fan base very quickly. And, and I did love that. And it's the little things, right? Yeah. It's that that is a simple thing to do yeah. when you are, you know, this is the first time the Bengals have won a playoff game since 1991. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's, you know, th this was an easy decision, smart decision to go out to Cincinnati and really give it to him because Bengals were begging for it, man. When we were pre-gaming this, pre-gaming uh, pre the game and um, drinking, every Bengals fan was like, this is it. This is our year. I mean, they're excited, man. This is a big, big time. Let's get to Skip. Skip. We need to get Skip on the show. Shout out David Sofaro, public relations intern. We need to get him on the goddamn show because Skip Ailis is becoming one of my favorite people on the planet. <laughs> Look at this. Me after bleeping, me after the bleeping empire was late to spot the ball and cost us a 24-yard shot at miracle steal of a win. We got robbed of a last-second shot we deserved. How many takes was this, Mike? This the image. The photo? Was it the first take? It definitely wasn't a candid photo. I'll just say that. No, yeah, no. He has of his mouth not. open. <laughs> that is not a scream. Mid-scream. Love how he gets the bicep in there. Skip's got a flex that Dude, he, that's you know, nice. he lifts more than you do. Um, nothing will beat, though, in my mind. Skip, after they lost to the Packers, it was the Mason Crosby game where he hit like a 59-yarder and a 57-yarder, and it kind of like tailed. He was doing like physics analysis. He's like, a ball shouldn't move that way. I don't remember I've this. never seen a ball move that way. He was tweeting through it. He had like two days later, he tweets about, he just tweets in all caps, Mason Crosby's field goal never should have went in or something like that. Dude was going through it on that one. That was that one will never be beat. That this was. Are a you good kidding me though? Skip. You're gonna bring up a Skip Bayless moment and not bring up the one where he does not the say breathing a word. one. Yeah, from Thanksgiving. That, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen. That was, that was a good visual. I'm saying like pure, pure, uh, pure Skip content. All right, content. Emmanuel Acho. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Is the gift that keeps on giving from yeah. a fun to read standpoint. Uh, he comes in and says. After as Skip Bayless is like crying in the corner, quarterback draw was actually the perfect play call. Well, the actually, it's the well, like, actually, all, all us dummies who don't know football. He highlights that you know the defense there was it was open in the middle of the field or whatever, and he says this was actually the perfect play call, and then doubles down on the effort and like replies to Jeff Schwartz who comes in and if you are quote tweeting Emmanuel Acho, I feel like you're playing a dangerous game. Like you don't, you don't do that in my opinion, but Jeff Schwartz goes in, quote tweets him, says, nah, Emmanuel Acho then responds and says, you throw it, a receiver can drop it. You throw it, the ball has to change hands. Dak Prescott was in full control of the situation. The ball never had to change hands. Anything can go wrong on any play. The least opportunity for error is Dak Prescott keeps the ball. Come on. Which is ironic considering one, if a receiver dropped it, it would have been better than what happened. Yes. And two, the least opportunity for error, literally, I mean, it came true. Yeah. So like, and I would argue that th that has more opportunity happened. for error. Yes. Because Dalton Schultz, if you just threw like a quick shot to him, yeah. he drops it, you get another opportunity. That's not bad. Exactly. He catches it and gives the ball to the ref. It's a fucking win. And yeah. I, I do think that he'll be quicker to get down than Dak because well, Dak has to go from five exactly. back to the front. Dak, it's like time is very much of the essence there. They are giving you the middle of the field. Getting the ball passed to a guy who's literally, you know, five yards in front of you, not not in shotgun as a quarterback, is a is like could have been the difference there in the one or two seconds that it took to then spike the ball and end the game. There, him also saying that, like that's the best thing that could have happened. It's like a, a shot at the end zone was better, right? Like it was they weren't like out of hail mary situation right they could have yeah. put the ball in the end zone or try to push the ball down that was 
one of the lowest ranked things from a from a like, yeah honestly like once it started i don't think i've ever seen quite that in that situation a draw no you know I, you see passes over the middle of the field often but not a pure draw like that fun to read this one's from earlier in the week probably right after the colts lose to the jacksonville jaguars but mike wells uh, quoting Chris Ballard on Carson Wentz. At the time, we felt it was the right decision. I'm not going to make a comment on who is going to be here next year and who is not. I mean, they're not – they can't move on from Carson Wentz, can they? I mean, how hard is that contract to get out of? And they just spent a first-round pick on him. That is not what you want to hear, though, if you're a Colts fan. Or At, Wentz. <laughs> or Wentz, because that is basically saying it was not the right decision in retrospect. And, like, I think anyone with – two eyes who watched week 18 can tell you it wasn't but when you're the gm you pump your dudes up if you actually are like committed to them and think they're going to be on your team next year so for him to say at the time we felt it was the right decision basically means i you know hand up i screwed up we're sol and i, I want to get <laughs> fucking out from under this carson wentz deal next one comes from billy m underscore 91 he is a co-host of the roar i think it's a panther it's not five. yeah it's not him it's the four-man rush is the oh oh gotcha gotcha but he has it's the tweet is from him but it's a screenshot of matt rule goes on a radio show wfnz and says in this same interview said they felt sam Darnold was in the same category as justin fields and mac jones which is oh my god and in that same interview says he didn't think Rashawn Slater was ideal tackle size and weren't comfortable taking a guard that high. Rashawn Slater, that is, that is embarrassing. I think if you scroll up Quinn and what like the initial part of this thread is like, you can see like, he's like, why did Panthers PR allow this guy in the airwaves? Like, why would rule say that? Why, why would rule say that? Yeah. Why would rule come out and say, we thought Sam Darnold was as good as Justin Fields or Mac Jones. Why would Matt Rulon say Rashawn Slater, who just had one of the best offensive tackle seasons we've ever seen from a rookie, we weren't comfortable taking a guard that high? Like he's just going on the radio to get flamed, like absolutely broiled in front of our eyes. That's a, a disastrous comment from Rule, and like just makes him look stupid. Even if like it's with good intentions or whatever, like you can't control what it makes you look like. It makes you look dumb. That like that makes you pre look pretty dumb. Yeah, Rule, those were those were just bad quotes. You know, like you don't say that. You just say you had jc horn higher on your board you don't have to say say why. something else but again, say it's not something else it's not surprising though because this is the same franchise that drafts brady christensen and then says he's not a tackle like you know drafts brady christensen the byu offense tackle in the third round and says they don't want him playing tackle because of his arm length but we will play cam effing irving at left tackle who was a center his last year at florida state because he has an inch longer arms and who's been poop at tackle proven in the nfl <laughs> poop but, at tackle proven but that one inch of arm length is why we feel better about him there. It's a disaster. It's just, it's dated. It's, it's dated line of thinking that ask any like offensive, ask Duke Manyweather, the preeminent offensive line trainer, how, if that's a real thing, if that's something that should be valued, arm length, to that degree, and he will laugh in your face. Last one, and this was my favorite, I think. Jeremy Curley, or no, Jeremy Kelly. Jeremy Curley, the former Jets receiver. Jeremy Kelly, who is, um, let's see here. I'm not sure what Jeremy Kelly does, but he's got a blue check mark. Uh, he's got a picture of Ryan Fitzpatrick in the stadium at the Bills game, shirtless, with some random guy living it up. It's incredible. Je Ryan Fitzpatrick is out here 
watching the Bills shirtless in like freezing degree weather. I when we watch when I saw this and there's like a video of him screaming too. We don't have it here, but it's awesome. How many players are you putting ahead of Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of watching a game with in Buffalo? In Buffalo specifically, like I don't know. I, I, he's up there, man. He's a he's probably a riot, an absolute riot. I feel like I I'm not sure I've ever seen a player like at another game. You know, yeah, you no, know, true. Like, player just going <laughs> to a game of his former team and sitting in the stands. You know, he's not in a box. You know that he he's with the bros. He's just hanging out in the stands and shirtless. That is that's an all time pick right there. Like the fact that he did that is. Gabby tells you all you need to know about Francis Patrick. It's true. All right. Last one here. Save your likes. This one. Didn't have a great week of saving your likes, but boss man put us on the map by saying it. <laughs> by saying that his game has been fun to watch. Chris <laughs> does listen to this pod. So, yeah. Chris, love you. This is a running joke on the podcast. You know that. But he does say Andy Reid has made the Chiefs fun to watch, which save your likes, save your comments. Not, not what you like to see from Chris. Like to see something a little bit more next level. But still a phenomenal comment. And I will agree. Can I agree? It's been fun to watch. Andy Reid has made the Chiefs fun to watch, as has Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs continue to be fun to watch as they go into. Yeah, I, I will say they were not as fun to watch with Alex Smith. I think True. They, were, they were, were mildly fun, but Patrick Mahomes has had a good deal to do with that. Tyreek Hill's had a good deal to do with that. What a phenomenal pod. Until next time, I think on the Wednesday episode, we should go over my latest mock. Mm. Do we have to? No, we have okay, to. We have to. Latest mock draft on the Wednesday episode. Until next time, Asa Gale, Mike Drennan. Go.